Okay, good afternoon everybody. Well, if you are still getting their teas and cakes and coffees, uh, time to kick off. Another afternoon of Reasonable Faith, two talks, usual format. Peter Williams is going to be first of all talking about body, mind, soul, Huawei. And then Merrick Strokos uh, will be talking on made in the image of God. So without any further ado, Peter, one of our regulars. Grand, okay. So as uh, usual with Reasonable Faith, we don't like to try and bite off more than we can chew. So we just take a small... And a, uh, a easy to deal with topic and just give you know, plenty of uh, time in the 20 minute slot to, to deal with it. So what I thought I would do is to focus down narrowly on just one uh, very live uh, argument within uh, the philosophy of mind uh, which is an argument against a, a reductive materialist physicalist view uh, of what mind is and if that's an area that's of interest to you, quick advert, there is of course an entire chapter uh, in uh, <laughs> my new book, A Faithful Guide to Philosophy on uh, the relationship between mind and body. Uh, click and click. So, um, also advertising my uh, previous recent book this year, uh, I have to mention C.S. Lewis. I know, it's good job, it's not the BBC. Uh, just have to mention C.S. Lewis for a, for a slide at least, because as you'll see in a few moments, he is Um, still very uh, contemporaneous uh, in this thought. Um, He says in his book Miracles that uh, acts of thinking are no doubt events, but they are a very special sort of event. Um, They are about something other than themselves and can be true or false. We have thoughts that can be true or false about things. However, observes Lewis, physical events are not about anything and cannot be true or false, uh, from which it would seem to follow that the thinking events in our minds cannot be reduced to physical events in our brains. He says this, we're compelled to admit between the, the thoughts of a terrestrial astronomer and the behaviour of matter several light years away, that particular relation which we call truth. So the astronomer has true thoughts about the nature of uh, nuclear combustion in the star or whatever. But this relation has no meaning at all if we try and make it exist between the matter of the star and the astronomer's brain, considered as a lump of matter. The brain may be in all sorts of relations to the star, no doubt. Uh, It's in a spatial relation, a time relation, etc. But to talk of one bit of matter as being true about another bit of matter seems to me to be nonsense. So, just to illustrate this thought, here we have a a star, several hundreds of light years away or whatever, and it has various causal relations to the astronomer's mind, as uh, the light from it there is, is reaching the telescope and going into her eyeball and so on. Um, it's got a causal relation, and there's a, a distance relation, a spatio-temporal relation. Uh, it's uh, exerting some sort of gravitational attraction over huge distances, etc. But then the astronomer has thoughts about the star that are true of it. Um, and that just, on the face of it, does not seem to be talking about the same kind of category 
indeed, since the star is several you know, light years away, how could it possibly be true that the astronomer has true thoughts about the star now if that is a physical relation? Atheist Raymond Tallis, in his recent book, The Aping of Mankind, puts the thought this way, and I, I really uh, think this is a very striking way of expressing this problem. He argues that intentionality, this aboutness of thought, tears the seamless fabric of the causally closed material universe. And, and the idea that the material universe is, is a causally closed, self-contained system is very definitional of a naturalistic worldview. Uh, he says it points in the direction opposite to causation. Intentionality points in the direction opposite to causation. It is incapable of being accommodated in the materialist world picture as it's currently construed. So for the rest of the talk, I thought I would just focus down on a particularly recent, uh, interesting book by the atheist philosopher of science, Alex Rosenberg, and his book, The Atheist's Guide to Reality. And in this book, he goes uh, from the introduction, where he lays out his uh, materialistic, scientistic worldview, he calls it. Um, is there a God? No. What is the nature of reality? What physics says it is? Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? So this is sort of worldview. But interestingly, he goes from this to the idea that thinking about things can't happen at all. When consciousness conv convinces you that you or your mind or your brain has thoughts about things, it is wrong, he says. He says about what is the interesting question. Well, as uh, Benedict Paul Groquet in his uh, introduction the, uh, to uh, the recently published book uh, After Physicalism puts it, that the trend in philosophy of mind seems to be this. Instead of arguing that because everything is physical, we and our conscious life have to be physical, despite appearances, physicalists now argue the other way around. If something is not physical then it simply can't exist. This thesis is, to put it very mildly, question-begging. Indeed it is. Um, but it has the result, as Goke says, that if you want to be a physicalist, you have to deny the obvious. And we'll see that very clearly in Alex Rosenberg's argument. So here's the argument I'm going to defend. Very simple, deductive, two-premise, one-conclusion syllogism. Premise one... Purely physical realities cannot have thoughts about anything. Premise two, we have thoughts about things. Conclusion, therefore, we are not purely physical realities. Now, let's take premise one, that purely physical realities can't have thoughts about anything. And let's bring Alex Rosenberg in uh, to defend that premise for us. So he says, no chunk of matter can just by itself be about another chunk of matter without a mind to interpret the first chunk of matter as being about the second chunk. The brain can't have thoughts about Paris 
or about anything else, for that matter. Uh, piling up a lot of neural circuits that are not about anything at all can't turn them into a thought about stuff out there in the world, he says. And one last quote here on this uh, PowerPoint slide. One clump of matter can't be about another clump of matter. So he seems to be very consistently clear about this. And um, he gives a, a nice sort of working through of thinking why this is. He says, for example, we believe that Paris is the capital of France. So, um, somewhere in our brain is stored the proposition that Paris is the capital of France, somehow encoded in neural connections, right? But here's a difficulty, says Rosenberg for the physicalist. What, what makes the Paris neurons a set of neurons that is about Paris? Um, the first clump of matter, the bit of wet stuff in my brain, the Paris neurons, is about the second chunk of matter, Paris. How can the first clump, the Paris neurons in my brain, be about the second clump? How can one clump of stuff anywhere in the universe be about some other clump of stuff anywhere in the universe right next to it or 100 million light years away? They don't, for example, in any way look like the Eiffel Tower. So here's a diagram of a neuron and here's a photo of the Eiffel Tower. They don't look like each other, says Rosenberg. The neurons aren't shaped like Paris or any part of it. They won't look like Paris from any angle. Could, could the Paris neurons be about Paris the way red octagons are about stopping? You know, the red octagon doesn't look like the action of stopping, but nonetheless it manages to be about stopping. Well, he says the more consciousness thinks about it, the more certain we are that shapes and squiggles outside our head are about stuff because of the way the thoughts in our head are about them. This can't be correct, though, for physicalism, he says, not if thoughts about stuff are sets of neurons wired together, and they can't be anything else on physicalism. The point is that a red octagon or any other clump of matter, like ink marks or pixels on a screen, is about something else only because it has been interpreted by someone to be about it. If the Paris neurons are, are about Paris the same way a red octagon is about stopping, then there has to be something in the brain that interprets the Paris neurons as being about Paris. And the interpreter can only be another part of the brain on a physicalist view. But how can the neural interpreter interpret the Paris neurons as being about Paris. The interpreter neurons would have to have different parts that are about two different things, about Paris and about the Paris neurons, in order to interpret one as being about the other, you see. Already we can see trouble coming. We started out trying to explain one case of neurons being about something, Paris. Now we have two cases of neurons being about something, about Paris and about Paris neurons. That way lies a regress that will prevent us from ever understanding what we wanted to figure out in the first place, how one chunk of stuff, the Paris neurons, can be about another chunk of stuff, Paris. 
What we need to get off the regress is some set of neurons that is about some stuff outside the brain without being interpreted by anyone or anything else, including any other part of the brain, as being about stuff. But, says Rosenberg, there is no such physical stuff. Physics has ruled out the existence of clumps of matter of the required thought. There are just fermions and bosons and combinations of them. None of that stuff is just all by itself about any other stuff. There is nothing in the whole universe, including, of course, all the neurons in your brain, that just by its nature or composition can do this job of being about some other clump of matter. So that's premise one. Purely physical realities cannot have thoughts about anything. But although he argues very well for that, I think, notice what he then says. So when consciousness assures us that we have thoughts about stuff, it has to be wrong. But then what is that sentence about? Nothing? Um, Rosenberg on page 190C says this, he says consciousness is just another physical process so it, it has as much trouble producing aboutness as any other physical process introspection certainly produces the illusion of aboutness here's the move the illusion of aboutness but it's got to be an illusion on naturalism, since nothing physical can be about anything. The clumps of matter that constitute your conscious thoughts can't be about stuff. The real problem is to explain away this illusion. Yeah, that's quite a problem, I think. Um, as Paul Gauquet says, if you want to be a physicalist, you have to deny the obvious. It is obvious that you have thoughts that are about things. Indeed, intentional consciousness surely can't be an illusion. An illusion just is a mistaken conscious idea about how things are. So it can't be an illusion. When Rosenberg states, for example, the way the brain deals with introspection is totally different from the way introspection tells us it does, it's just an illusion, of course, of course, he means that introspection about how the brain deals with introspection is misleading about the truth of the matter. He, he, you know, it would be completely off topic if you were talking about introspection about which cake in the hatch was the nicest tasting to you this evening, or introspection about what the weather's going to be, you know, like later, and whether you want to risk going home or you're going to go onto the church service and think it might blow. You know, introspection about what is relevant here? Introspection about the topic at hand. Just because he doesn't mention the word, he can't hide the fact that that's what's going on. Did Rosenberg, numerous times, of course, in the book, explicitly contradicts himself by himself claiming to think about things. He does say things like, I am thinking about Paris. <laughs> I am thinking about the relationship between mind and body, etc., etc. 
Rosenberg is correct when he writes this. Consciousness tells you in no uncertain terms what the content of your thought is, what your thought is about. It's about the statement that Paris is the capital of France. That's the thought you're thinking. It just can't be denied. You can't be wrong about the content of your thought. Your thought might be wrong, but you can't be wrong about what it is you you think is the case. So, not only is it true that purely physical realities cannot have thoughts about anything, but it is self-contradictory to deny that we have thoughts about things, but from which it follows deductively with logical certainty that therefore we are not purely physical realities. Thank you. <laughs> I think that my brain hurts. <laughs> Time for questions for Peter. I think it's even worse than you, worse than you say, <laughs> Because um, when you say I'm thinking about Paris, mm. actually you're not thinking about Paris, you're thinking about thinking about Paris. And I think it's, even, it's an even deeper regression than you say. Uh, I think if I think that I'm thinking about Paris, mm. I'm not actually thinking about Paris. Uh, I, if, I, if I express yeah. it to myself, I, I'm, I, I'm not yes. expressing it. Uh, I'm not actually thinking. That's right. You move on to a meta level. Of, I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself that I am thinking about thinking about Paris, yes. and so that's yeah. You, you you can multiply the levels of aboutness of of introspection uh, of going from the you know, first person to sort of thinking about thinking, thinking about thinking about, but you can't. You can multiply, make the problem, but you can't. Eliminate the aboutness of thinking about things. Yeah, and I think they can't. Uh, they can't actually really alter what I said. I think I think. Therefore, I think I think I am. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> quite the same read to it. Yeah. That was one of my most complicated talks. I think. So I'm a software engineer, so I deal with data representation, data models. It seems to be a lot of the argument seems to be that physical realities can't, can't model the real world. It seems to me that, you know, you're saying one lump of matter can't be about another lump of matter, but it's the state of the lumps of matter that count. So, for example, if you've got a homing missile guiding on GPS mm. coordinates, wherever, that has a data model inside it that's homing on its target. And it will have various mm. algorithms for making sure it gets there. Yeah. But it doesn't have self-awareness. Now, no. It's the, the nub of your argument that self-awareness is the key difference here. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not, of course, arguing that a computer must be more than a physical object. No, of course not. What I'm arguing is that since we have thoughts that are about things, we must be more than a merely physical it's object. Data. It's data about data. But if, 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 if data in itself doesn't have aboutness, then data, you can't have data about data if it's just data, if things that are just data don't have aboutness. Certainly, the field of computing can. And it seems to me that this, this idea of consciousness, certainly mm. as far as computer concern is concerned, you only need to have the awareness to achieve your input output goals. So, the input output goal mm. for 
a missile is sticking to target and spiral. Right. So the level of awareness that, that a piece of matter, that is the computer may have, may be limited. And what part of the problem we have is that we're trying to think about ourselves using our own brains, and that's kind of freaking us out. <laughs> so if, if, our brains, as saying, if our brains were simple enough for us to understand, it would be so simple that we couldn't. Well, I, I think this also comes back to sort of saying, talking about, you know, squiggles on a bit of paper or the octagon meaning stop or lines of a, of a code relating to, you know, this is the target or whatever. Because there's a, the, there's a programming by people who have thought sort of about things that are then expressing that in a particular language that, that algorithmically causes certain functions to happen. But I would say when, it, when you're making those functions happen in the computer, they're not happening within consciousness. It, it, whereas when we're thinking about things, we know from introspection, undeniably, that we are consciously thinking about yeah. certain things. Self-awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the, that's the nub of the problem. Yeah. Ground. Does your critique necessarily imply idealism unconditionally? Does my critique imply idealism? Um, what do you, and what do you mean by idealism there, just to check? Well, the world being completely um, in the centre of everything, so, as opposed to matter. Uh, no, no, my critique wouldn't imply that. Indeed, at the end of the argument there, all you've got is the conclusion that, we, that whatever we are, we can't be purely physical things. So it, that, that conclusion is compatible with saying we're partly physical, we're partly physical things and partly non-physical, or that we're completely non-physical. So it's not or, or ability to make sense. Right. Um, and, and as to whether there's, you know, must be mind at the at the sort of bottom of everything, that would that you'd have to extend the argument further yeah, if you wanted some sort of first person centered No, no. So it's not an argument for for that con- conclusion, because um, it would. I think the conclusion there would be compatible with saying there can be a mind independent. Existence, existences. Maybe there are mind-independent physical existences or whatever. Um, all the argument concludes is that whatever I am, I can't be a purely physical object where physical objects are understood in the terms that contemporary naturalists and scientists understand it. Um, just going back to the point about computers and software and things, where, mm. so where do you draw the line between a, a computer not having these thoughts about things and, and us having that, because it seems I, I, I still can't see the difference really right, well um, the, the difference is that the, com- the, the, you know, the computer is a Turing machine running a program that will cause it to behave in certain ways and give certain outputs given certain inputs yeah. um, but it's not having conscious thoughts about anything and you're having conscious thoughts about things well <laughs> Perhaps, but I think there's a, it, it, I don't see where there's, there's a, a sort of spectrum there rather than just two points. And, you know, uh, animals come in various places along, along that spectrum. Yeah, that's an interesting... Where, you know, I, I'm of the belief that at some point computers will be, you know, equal to us in thought ability and possibly beyond. 
almost certainly right. beyond. But um, I, I don't see what there is stopping that. I don't, I, computers, it seems to me, um, can think thoughts in the same way that we think thoughts. Just you know, we're we, we're conscious about it at the moment. Right, yeah. And I think the key part of your sentence there was the quotation marks that you put around thoughts. Well, yes, but I think you know, our thoughts are only uh, chemical signals and electrical signals uh, generated by various inputs now. Uh, well, I've, but I've just given you what I think is a very strong argument for saying that that's not the case, that our thoughts can't be just chemicals and electrical signals. But to pick up on the hand side, you can interfere with thoughts. By, by chemistry. Sure, yeah. But then that is compatible with the conclusion of the argument, which was simply that we're not purely physical objects. Um. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, I think you raise a very interesting issue because it, it goes back to the, the, the question we had about thinking about thinking about thinking, etc. Um, I, I think for this argument... Um, it's enough to say that something that has thoughts about things can't be purely physical. Um, but it would be possible to be think, a thing that had thoughts about things without being a thing that had thoughts about the fact that it had thoughts about things, which is what, what, what you were raising. We are able to think about the fact that we're thinking about things. And you know, maybe your cat or dog at home can't, think about the fact that it's thinking about things, but it seems pretty clear to me that your dog or cat thinks about things. I think it's conscious. My, I don't know, my intuition would be that bacteria or ants or whatever probably aren't consciously thinking about anything. They're just sort of AI automaton and who, where the line is in between, it's very difficult to know because you, know, you can't ask them. Uh, go back to Thomas Nagel's famous essay, What Is It Like to Be a Bat? You know, we don't know because we can't ask bats. So just on um, a level of different complexities on, on, on a whole spectrum of our brains. And... Yeah, I mean, certainly you might get, you might get a, an empirical marker for empirical association. The, the more complex the, the, the thought life of a thing, of an embodied thing seems to be, that does seem to go along with having a more complex um, neuronal structure, etc., um, but again, that's compatible with the, the conclusion that consciousness can't be reduced to nothing but the neuronal structure. Let me push you one, one further in terms of where, where we might be going with this. So if there's something outside, this is what you might be calling a soul? Uh, well... The dog and the cat have a slightly less complex soul. And, and the, yeah. The yeah. Doesn't have one. Yeah. So yes, yeah, I mean certainly the if you go into sort of scholastic philosophy or the tradition from Aristotle in philosophy of mind or whatever, um, medieval Christian theologians so on would have been very happy talking about the soul as the form of the creature, such that you would say the soul, the soul of the plant, the soul of the animal, the soul of the person, but saying they're different types of soul of increasing complexity and that some souls have consciousness and others don't, and some souls have consciousness of being conscious. Man is a rational animal, whereas, you know, your dog is not, um, whereas your flower doesn't even have any consciousness. Um, that would be the kind of way that uh, Aristotle or Thomas Aquinas or whatever, uh, following him, would have sort of divided things up. Yeah. I think we might move on at that point. I think I can see...